where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. So it's Advent. I'm in holiday denial. Um, I know we just had Thanksgiving, but the absence of snow is really messing with me this year. At least that's what I'm telling myself it is. And Advent, yes, is a season in the church. It's also a word that can be used in literary works, and it, it connotes the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And I, I mention that because it has that same meaning in church also. Advent really is about two arrivals. The first one is the birth of Jesus that has already taken place and is something to celebrate and to ponder. The second arrival is one that is yet to come. The second arrival is often framed in language of hopeful anticipation and judgment. Language like, be on guard. This second arrival will catch you by surprise if you're not paying attention. And as a way of thinking about Advent a little differently, I want to share with you a new practice that I recently started, like last week recently started. Anytime I'm reading the word Jesus, I substitute it with God's justice. And anytime I'm reading or hearing a name connected with Jesus, I'm doing the same thing. So instead of the birth of Jesus, the birth of God's justice. And this morning's reading paints a vivid picture of a second arrival of what is yet to come. So if you're willing, I'd like to try to incorporate that new practice into the reading. And here's how we can do this. When you hear Son of Man, which is a title often connected with Jesus, let's all say God's justice. And when you hear the name Jesus, let's say God's justice. It only happens four times. I think you can do this. And if you don't want to say it out loud, you could say it uh, in your mind. All right, here we go. This reading is from the message translation. It's the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting at chapter 25. And the title of this reading is, The Coming of the Son of Man. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea, in an uproar, and everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom, the powers that be quaking. And then, then, they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style, a glorious welcome. When all this starts to happen, up on your feet, stand tall with your heads high. Help is on the way. Jesus told them a story. Look at a fig tree, any tree for that matter. When the leaves begin to show, one look tells you that summer is right around the corner. The same here. When you see these things happen, you know God's realm is about, is about to be here. 
Don't brush this off. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out. My words won't wear out. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by or distracted by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, the day is going to take you by complete surprise. Spring on you suddenly like a trap, for it's going to come on everyone, everywhere, at once. So whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Well done. Did that change anything for you? The name Valerie Kaur may be familiar to you. She's the founder of the Revolutionary Love Project and author of a book by the same name. See No Stranger was her first book, and her list of awards and recognitions is very long. Valerie's work is deeply rooted in her Sikh faith, which connects her with other major world religions, including the Christian tradition. The connection is the primacy of love. The phrase revolutionary love, that is, love that is radically new and brings about a dramatic change, sounds like God's justice to me. Valerie frames revolutionary love in the context of the birthing process. This new creation and birthing language was in our reading this morning. You'll hear this creation language, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the sea. Breathless, the powerful shaking and trembling. This is very vivid for the new grandparents who are here today. The labor of God's justice is a process that requires intentional participation and effort. At times, it will take our breath away. At times, it will shake up and call into question the practices and power dynamics that are harmful. Advent is a season that acknowledges the longing and the need for God's justice and the need for justice by any other name to come to an end. I think it would be a good purpose statement or a tagline for a church to use some of Valerie's language is to say that UCC Longmont, midwives for God's justice. The goal is no more bystanders. You don't get to be in the birthing room unless you have something to do. The goal is to live and speak and act in the brave space of a birthing process. And if you have been in that space, I have not, but if you have, you know it's messy. You know it's scary. You know it's unpredictable. Just like the language of our reading today of that second arrival, you don't know when labor's gonna start, even when it's induced. Who showed you and taught you to be brave? 
keep that person or those people with you as you consider some of the practices of revolutionary love. There are 10. There are 10 practices that Valerie outlines for this brave space, and one of the practices is listening. That's the practice we're gonna focus on today. And as I pondered the role of listening in the birth of justice, Shailene Oniango came to mind. Shailene, if you don't know, is the executive director of the Longmont Community Justice Partnership. And I reached out to Shailene and I asked her if she would prepare a video for us connecting, listening to her work and her organization's work about justice. And she said yes. That felt like an early Christmas gift. And so we're going to show you that video now, and then I'll come back. So let's, this is Shailene from Longmont Community Justice Partnership. At LCJP, the art of listening is probably the most fundamental component of what we do. And the reason why restorative justice works, we are bringing people into those spaces who have at times experienced some significant harm from another person that they are sitting in the room with. And we set up those processes and those conversations by asking people to come into that space to listen, to understand, with the intention of understanding, not with the intention of responding, which is very different than how we can often operate in some of our relationships. The fundamental component of restorative justice or what we call the first of the five R's is relationship. Relationship has to be built with trust and trust is built with understanding and knowing that the person who you are forming that relationship with is interested in getting to know you and your experience. When we are bringing those people together, we have to help create a desire for relationship very quickly. And so one of the ways that we ask people to do that is to be open and share that space with another person to seek to understand their perspective and where they are coming from and not sitting there waiting to formulate your own answer and your own response. At LCJP, we are very good at leaving a lot of space. And so when I think about listening, I also think about what can happen in the silence. And I am reminded of this story um, that was told by our founder, Beverly Title, who was facilitating a circle between two small kids. And the young boy had stolen the backpack of this young girl, but this young boy was having a really hard time taking responsibility for what he had done and the harm that he had caused to this young girl. And so Beverly was about to give up. 
she was ready to just throw in the towel and figure out another solution. Clearly, you know, this facilitated uh, dialogue between these two kids was not going to work. But instead of doing that, she had the idea to just ask these kids to sit in silence and listen. Listen for what might come up for them and to listen for the voices of the adults in their lives who trusted them, who they had relationship with. And so after very few moments, the little boy spoke up and he said, okay, okay, I stole, I stole her backpack and I'm very sorry. I was just afraid to say that I did that. And I heard the voice of my grandmother telling me the importance of being honest. So not only are we listening and creating space for people to share their experiences, we're also creating space for people to listen to their inner voice in those moments of beautiful, beautiful silence. Powerful, isn't it? Huh. Did you know that listen and silent are comprised of the same letters? Just a different order? Revolutionary love, restorative justice, God's justice is restorative. It's based in love and it's relational. And if you want to know what a community or a country loves, listen for what and who is valued, favored, and protected in the ways of organizing, its practices, and its laws, its legal system. That might be an exercise for you this week. Listen, too, for the response to a harm of some kind. Is the aim restoration or punishment? Harmony or obedience? God's justice is relational and aims for harmony. If you notice in your bulletin, if you're here in the room, and the online worship resources include this as well, our congregation's community covenant is printed in the bulletin this morning. And it might be worth spending some time with this document to listen for what is valued. Listening is revolutionary when it seeks to understand, not to change or persuade, or to compromise, or even to legitimize. Listening to others preserves their humanity, and it preserves the humanity of the person who is listening. Listening is also instructive. Listening teaches us how to engage in smarter ways for justice. In other words, listening leads to strategy. 
not only to redistribute power, but to change the cultures that centralize power and support supremacist ideologies. And one of the ways that I've been involved in the wider church is by conducting interviews when a harm in a local church has been reported to the conference. Now, is anybody else here happen to have grown up or spent time in New Jersey? Thank you, couple hands. Okay, my people. I say that because listening didn't come naturally to me. Where I'm from, if you don't interrupt someone several times in the course of the conversation, they don't know you care. And they don't know that you've been listening. You've probably noticed that I do that. I even interrupt myself when I talk. But when the assignment is to sit and listen, that's a whole nother deal. I've learned how to do that. It doesn't mean that I don't interrupt in my head but I've learned how to quiet that down a little bit and remember what the focus is. The focus is to listen to learn. As one of my mentors says, listen to learn and learn to listen. And so here I am in this role as listener where a harm has taken place. And I've learned that people who have been harmed, who have experienced a significant harm, want three things. Test this out on what you've noticed and learned too. They want to be heard. They want the harmer to take responsibility for their part. And they want the harm to not happen again. Does that ring true for you? No. Now for me, those are the easier interviews to listen to. The other ones are harder because listening to those who have caused harm, I've noticed that the stakes can often feel too high for the person to take responsibility. Even if we've gone through all the, the care to try to help the person feel safe um, and to develop relationship, um, oftentimes the stakes just feel too high. And the more common tendency, like that little boy in the story, is to defend or deflect or to just be silent. To produce documentation and evidence rather than to take responsibility. And so I've learned to ask a new question. And I like Shailene's, I'm gonna add that to my list. But I've learned this new one. If you had an unlimited amount of do-overs, see sports and games come into play here. Is there anything you would like to try again or do differently? What does that question evoke for you? If you had an unlimited amount of do-overs, is there anything you would like to try again and do differently? We do have a do-over rule in our family. Not my extended family, just that one I created with Beth and that Beth and I are creating together. Do-overs are critical, aren't they? They're a way of taking responsibility without being filled with shame or fear. Do-over. I can't count the number of times we did do-over as kids playing stickball or curveball 
or kickball. Lots of things with balls. But think of how many times you do things over in theater and choir and bells. Think of how many times you do repetition or you do things over with homework. Why not our families? Because I've never met someone that hasn't wanted to do something better or someone that has learned that they have caused harm that doesn't want to make it right. It might not be your first response, but it's in there. Deny, deflect, maybe that's first. But eventually, it's harmony, right? Not just obedience, it's harmony. There can be no restoration without the acknowledgement that harm has taken place. And that requires courage for someone to say, hey, I'm hurt. What you said, what you did, what you didn't say, what you didn't do. Like the work of LCJP, those conference processes are intended to be restorative. Both are a way of practicing revolutionary love. Love that will change the dynamic in your relationships. Love that can change a community. And it might go by a different name. I mean, I've actually been in Longmont long enough to see a significant shift. When I first came, I heard stories of the, the breach, the significant harm that was experienced in the mono and bilingual Spanish-speaking community at the time of the flood. The announcements around that were only sent out in English. And people who were knocking on doors were English speakers. That produced a lot of fear. That did not have the desired re result of helping people. It actually caused harm because people did not take heed of the need to leave. And so over the course of time, and a lot of listening by some, the message became, it's hard to trust a community that won't communicate with us in times of real peril. And so enter in the latest um, difficult situation, which was life with COVID. And what I noticed in the COVID releases is that not immediately, but eventually, Spanish and English were released at the same time. It takes so long. What is so hard about that? And yet we must say, okay, it's been acknowledged. There was an attempt to do better, an attempt to do it differently, an attempt to acknowledge and to not do it again. I'm sure you have other examples that come to mind how listening, how, how listening can be hard, but eventually, 
if enough people are brave enough to speak and to speak their truth, listening can lead to new ways that are better for everyone, that take into account the whole community. And this revolutionary love, restorative justice, are both ways of practicing the ways of Jesus, which is God's justice, right? That's what this second arrival is all about, God's justice. And we're going to pause here for some reflection time. And music is going to be provided as a companion for you. And the lyrics for this well-known melody for, to some are also provided as a companion. And they're printed in the bulletin. They'll appear on your screen. I want you to feel free to play with replacing God's justice or revolutionary love. Maybe that's a new practice too, where you see the pronoun he. And remember, That's the work we're about as church.